Welcome to the Engineering Influence Podcast presented by the American Council of Engineering Companies. Risk is a fact of life and a big part of business. As we all know, risk and reward move in tandem. Higher reward brings higher risk. But going for the golden ring every time isn't a sustainable business strategy. That's where risk management comes in, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Starting later this month, ACEC will present an intensive eight-week online program on risk management for engineering firms. And we have the two primary instructors in that course here with us today to talk about risk management. Jerry Cavaluzzi is Vice President, General Counsel, and Chief Risk Officer at Kennedy Jenks Consultants. And Kevin O'Byrne is National Manager of Engineering Specifications for HDR. Welcome to the program. Thank you very much. So risk management programs are always among the, uh, the most attended programs at our conferences, as well as during the year in, in the online webinars. Why is risk management such a big issue for engineering firms? Well, consulting engineering is by its very nature a very risky business. Um, the owner or client hires the consulting engineering firm uh, for its expertise and its time. Uh, engineers are human beings. We occasionally are flawed and occasionally are making decisions based on incomplete or imperfect information and data. So um, there's definitely a, a tendency in the business that where a decision was either not correct or perhaps uh, construction change orders were higher than the owner desired for the owner to then turn around and blame the consulting engineer, which can result in claims against engineers, disputes and uh, damaged relationships. So there's a lot of risk inherent in our type of business. And then as Kevin and I will do in the course, Kevin's approaching from the standpoint of the engineer, I'm looking at as in-house counsel for an engineering firm and have done so for the last 30 something years. And what I've seen over the years is that there's increased liability. So when you talk about risk, you almost have to talk about the flip side liability and how can you manage risk and mitigate potential liability. And so that's really what the aim of this course is to make people aware of the key risks and develop practical strategies to deal with those risks. You can't avoid lawsuits. That's the nature of the world today, in which we live in the United States, but you can uh, take steps and measures that will um, allow you to mitigate the risk and hopefully put you in a position where you won't be facing the kinds of liabilities that we've seen in uh, the uh, lawsuits that are filed when things go wrong. And usually they're filed due to expectations that are met. And it's what clients' expectations that are real important that we need to make clear what our obligations are and also make clear what we're doing to satisfy our professional obligations. Because remember, as engineers, uh, the health, safety, and welfare of the public is always foremost. So that in itself uh, makes risk management uh, a top priority for engineering firms because of the uh, obligations ethically and legally that uh, engineers uh, face. Um, would, it, would it be enough for an, an engineering firm to somehow assemble like a bulletproof professional services contract and, and then basically just rely on, on lawyers to protect them? Is, is that enough? Oh, uh, the answer is definitely no. Um, uh, both Jerry and I have many decades of experience in the consulting engineering business. Again, Jerry, from the standpoint as an in-house legal counsel, 
uh, me from the standpoint of both as a project manager on over 50 different projects in my career, as well as uh, serving as a, an engineering assistant to in-house legal counsel. And one of the ways in which Jerry and I have worked very closely together uh, for many years at our prior firm. Um, and we see that just simply having a great agreement is, and, and a good lawyer certainly isn't enough. Uh, having the right people on the project team fielded by the engineering firm, judiciously selecting clients, having an appropriate client relationship uh, are all probably equally as important as having a great professional services contract. Risk can come from a variety of different angles at a consulting engineer, and it can't all just be mitigated by uh, the contract. And in addition, um, uh, most of my work in my career has been for public owners who are pretty sensitive uh, to the types of contracts that they'll sign. And uh, I've never met a public owner yet that would have signed uh, an agreement that an engineer might have characterized as bulletproof and select in protecting the engineer. Uh, public owners, if anything, they may want to uh, have some of the risk slanted more in their own direction rather than the direction of the entity with whom they're contracting. And uh, so I don't think there is any such thing as a bulletproof contract. And even if there was, it's not enough to guarantee that the engineer uh, is not going to get into trouble on a even in a routine project, let alone a, a large and complex one. The only thing I might add to that is that uh, we're going to talk more and more about the importance of the client relationship and the importance of excellent communications. And those two things, I think, go a long way towards risk management and also, obviously, the continued success of the firm in the market. So uh, if you keep focusing on the client relationship, uh, especially when things are not so good and you make sure that you have communications that properly record key decisions that were made uh, during the project. We'll talk about in our course about the engineering equivalent of medical informed consent, meaning uh, when you go to a doctor, uh, you're always given uh, an explanation of what you're going to do and why and what the alternatives are and what the risks are. And then there's a discussion and there's a mutual agreement that this is how we're going to proceed. And we found that those types of discussions early on in the project uh, does a long way, goes a long way to managing risk. And while having a great contract and a great lawyer are essential tools, ultimately at the end of the day, uh, it's coupled with proper communications and a client relationship that can position the firm for continued success. Yeah. And one of the things we'll emphasize in the course is that you certainly don't want a bad professional services contract with your client. Um, and it's good to have a good attorney available for the times that you need that person's advice. Um, so we don't want to neglect professional services agreements, but they're not the uh, end all be all of consulting engineers risk management. You you both mentioned the uh, the importance of client uh, of client relationships and uh, and uh, Jerry early on I mentioned uh, uh, managing client expectations. That's a, from my 
work in the field over the past 12 years, that, that seems to be a, a big challenge is that managing the expectations of, of buyers, of clients. How, how, does, how, how do you guys recommend doing that? Um, a very good question. Um, I'd say that probably from all the different project teams with whom I've worked over the years, I'm not sure that we as consulting engineers as an entire industry perhaps do as good of a job with that as maybe we ought to. Uh, if only for protecting our own uh, our own risk, um, it, it's important, I think, to assume that your client does not understand all aspects of implementing the particular type of project, whether it's a study, a report, an investigation, or whether it's designing construction or some other kind of professional engineering services, and to make sure as you go through the process of implementing that project that they understand not only what the process is, but the risks, as Jerry says, uh, the equivalent of medical informed consent, advise your client of what the risks are and give them your best professional advice. And, uh, and if they don't take that advice, maybe it's a good idea in, a, in an appropriate way to document it in your file, again, for your own risk management. Um, but these are things that we will address in much greater detail uh, in the course itself. I think that uh, Kevin said it well there, uh, and uh, the work that ACEC has done in terms of uh, managing client expectations of perfection, that's been a seminal document. I was involved with the production of it probably more than a decade ago, and it's uh, just as uh, relevant today. It's the kind of thing that we talk with our people who are pursuing the projects. Everyone does their best to market and sell, but be careful what you pray for and be careful what you promise right up front, because those are the things that uh, clients remember. And those are the things that as a lawyer, I've seen blown up as exhibits. Uh, if uh, in the unfortunate event you're at a trial and you get to see all those laudatory uh, things that you put in your proposal or uh, uh, things that really were meant to quote, sell the client, but at the same time we're professionals and we have to make sure that we're measured in what we're saying and those things will be construed as lawyers as promises or guarantees. And throughout my career, uh, clients' capital dollars to implement projects and hire consulting engineers have always been limited. It's never what owners would like to have. And therefore, they're sensitive to any kind of extra costs that are incurred during the implementation of the project. Uh, even when the consulting engineer may have done absolutely nothing wrong, uh, both Jerry and I have experience with assisting project teams working for clients where even when a routine construction change order arises due to unforeseen site conditions that no one knew was there, the client uh, might immediately as a knee jerk fire off a, a letter to the engineer saying, we think you might be responsible for this. And you, the engineer, have to cover the, the construction change order cost because um, of uh, a failure on our part over the years to maintain proper record documents of the existing facilities that you're modifying or whatever. And of course, this reflects a trend in the industry that's developed over several decades of it's always somebody else's fault and maybe the engineering firm has deep pockets and, uh, and if I don't have to go back in front of my board to ask for extra money and can get the engineer to pay for it, um, 
you know, that's a viable approach as seen by certain clients. Certainly not all clients are like that to be sure, but probably most engineers that might hear this podcast might nod their heads a bit and go, yep, I think he's talking about a certain client that I know. It, um, you mentioned uh, the, you know, going in front of the, the uh, a jury or a, a judge in court and being caught out on words. One, one of those obviously is standard of care. Um, promising more for, for than the than the standard of care, but there are other ones such as, you know, limits of liability, duty to defend, indemnity. How do all these things play out in the real world? Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> probably why I have a job. Uh, it, it's one of those things that, as we've talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast, uh, it it is really good to have a, a contract that equity equitably allocates risks. And at the same time, it's also insurable because from that standpoint, uh, as a professional services firm, ultimately it's the assets of the firm that's at stake, but the proceeds of insurance policies are really what uh, satisfies the potential damages that may be allocated and funds the payment of those damages in the likely event that there is an adverse finding against the firm. So I think that when you use the terms, you know, indemnity, standard of care, duty to defend, what you're really looking at is you want to have the contract meet the terms of the insurance policy. Now it's never going to correspond hundred percent, but we've always looked at the con as the contract as really the roadmap for not only the project in terms of the project management, but also if things go wrong, what happens? So you're looking for uh, a dispute resolution provision that doesn't put you in litigation uh, context immediately. So that's why you'll see uh, EJCDC contracts have step process where, you know, if there's a dispute, you meet, confer, negotiate, mediate, then litigate or arbitrate. Those are all the steps that you take uh, in the real world to deal with issues regarding indemnity, which are complex legal issues, issues regarding the duty to defend, another one of those complex legal issues. All those things require an engineer to be mindful of the areas where they need to get experts involved up front. In other words, uh, we provide this type of training not to give legal advice but so engineers can recognize in their contracts the areas that are high risk, that they need to get their lawyer involved, that they need to get their insurance advisor involved. And ultimately, the goal is not only to protect the firm, but also to protect the client. So in the unlikely event, there is something that does require uh, a payment by the firm that ultimately the insurance policy is going to be the source of the proceeds and that will be insurable and the policy will pay out. So part of it is all education from my standpoint, because I started off my career as a member of a client's legal department. And I really didn't understand the benefits to me as a client to having a contract that would be fully covered under the firm's professional liability insurance policy. I took it from the standpoint of, I'm a lawyer, I'm gonna write this great contract that's gonna be so protective of my client, but in the process, what happens is that the client contracts terms, if they're not 
uh, written properly goes well beyond the firm's insurance uh, policy. And all those things, indemnity, limited liability, standard care, duty to defend, play out when there's a dispute. And uh, ultimately, at the end of the day, the dispute, it's usually money is the only thing that you can do to compensate that party in the event that there's a loss. And insurance policy is the only thing that is going to provide the proceeds. So in the real world, it's all about protecting not only your firm, but also allowing clients to know that if the God forbid does occur, that they're going to ultimately be able to uh, be put in a position uh, that is fair and equitable. And as an engineer, um, you go to college to learn things like structural engineering, hydraulics, soil mechanics, and how to design roadways. We don't learn um, risk management contracts and the things that go into the business of consulting engineering. So even when you make a whole career in consulting engineering, I think there's a tendency for engineers to hear words like indemnification, insurance, limitation of liability, and their eyes glaze over. Um, if we're going to work in this business of consulting engineering, which is fraught with risk, um, I think it's essential that people engaged in this business understand what these terms mean how they apply to the application of your engineering principles in the practice of your project. And uh, so that you assume only the appropriate amount of risk for practicing your profession rather than an undue or unusual amount of risk, or as Jerry says, that's uninsurable under your, your business insurance policies. It, Jerry, Jerry made the point that, what, that he was uh, a client, a client uh, lawyer for a while, and and we hear that all the time uh, today that the, from engineers saying that the the owners of the contractors have are tried to push all the risks down onto them uh, in in the contract negotiations, uh, sort of a take it or leave it sort of instance. Um, what what's the response for a, for an engineering firm in that case? Well, I think you need to have. Uh, first off, to be informed, of, to recognize when the risk being pushed onto you as the engineer to your professional services agreement is unusual or exceptionally high. Then you need to make a decision about whether or not your relationship and your, your business prospects with that client are such that you're willing to accept those risks, or if you're willing to accept them only under certain conditions, or if you're need to try to negotiate that contractual provision to reduce that risk so it's a little more manageable or insurable. In one sense, you can say, uh, we'll just take the risk because we always work with this client and we know their people and uh, we're willing to accept the risk uh, because they don't enforce that clause typically um, and, and it's an acceptable risk for us and we don't want to rock the boat. Now, there's a lot of people in the consulting engineering business with ongoing relationships with their clients where they don't want to rock the boat over contractual matters, especially if they don't feel well-informed or what's most common is the consulting engineering project team isn't too informed about the contractual matters and neither are the client's own project management people because it was a lawyer on either side that wrote the, the model form of the contract and most people don't want to touch it if they don't understand it. 
another approach is you can say, well, we might accept the risk if, what's the if? Under what conditions are you willing to accept the risk once you recognize that it's higher than usual? Uh, and maybe accepting that risk is saying, I'm pricing the risk is one of the points we'll make repeatedly in the course is uh, with accepting greater risk usually comes greater reward. So if you're going to accept a higher risk, are you being properly compensated for it? In other words, higher profitability. Uh, and finally, of course, in, in the course, we're going to discuss uh, ways to mitigate your risk in a variety of different circumstances, whether contractual, by appropriate insurance policies, uh, in hiring and managing your sub-consultants and subcontractors, in an alternative project delivery, and in other matters. I think that, uh, just to add briefly to what Kevin said, that uh, I think fundamentally, when you're talking about how do you respond to these situations, from my perspective, I always look at it from the other party's point of view. And I think it was really, really helpful that I started off my career working as a member of the client's legal department, because that gave me the most insight, probably what was the most beneficial uh, aspect of my preparation for working as in-house counsel for more than three decades at consulting engineering firms, because I grew up thinking like a client, seeing it from the client's eyes. So whenever I'm approaching certainly a, a situation with risk from a client's perspective, I can easily uh, identify with that uh, understanding and proactively address it and, and explain, not in an adversarial way, but in a collaborative way, why this provision is a problem for us and why the recommended provision not only solves our problem, but is acceptable from their perspective in terms of uh, their uh, you know, responsible you know, to their client, making sure that they get the benefit of the project. So that's, that's one tip. I do think that you also need to differentiate between contractors and owners. Uh, and uh, I love working with contractors. My brother has a contracting business. They, they perceive things differently than, than clients, you know, even though they're, they're a special type of client. And I think if you recognize that upfront, uh, the risk that they take tremendously uh, uh, on projects, they price the risk uh, and, and they understand it. And so it's almost like I have to put another hat on and it's helpful me having spent time in that role, you know, working with contractors uh, to see from their point of view. So I, I just think that the more we can look at things from the other perspective and understand what they're asking for. And, and sometimes clients will just flat out say, you know, uh, I'm just doing it for this reason. Okay. But you know, that may be short-sighted and, and contractors actually, some of them have said to me, well, you know, we, we start from this and if the firm pushes back, uh, we'll do it. If they don't, we, we kind of know a little bit about that firm. So uh, both of you have uh, pr presented a, a lot of programs for uh, for ACEC on um, on risk management and you know single session programs either at our conventions or conferences or also online. Um, now you're presenting this uh, this eight week program, an intensive program, um, with uh, you know both recorded and live sessions. What why why make this jump? Well, it was really the need for the course is something that ACEC itself identified, um, certainly from feedback from ACEC member firms, 
And when they first approached us about developing the course, our immediate reaction was, okay, sure, uh, risk management. What do you think the basics of risk management are? What are we addressing here? And the first response back was, uh, gee, we sort of thought maybe you could tell us. And uh, which is not meant to try to show uh, either ACEC or Jerry and myself as uh, being somehow ignorant, but rather that it's such a huge field. You know, what do you mean when you talk about risk management? So we've been developing this course for uh, the better part of two years now. And really an awful lot of the first year was trying to answer that initial question of what do you think the essentials of risk management include? What should be in a course like this? When we sat down with the uh, virtual uh, large post-it board and the marker to say, okay, let's talk about ideas now and put them up on the, on the wall, uh, we came up with something that was probably uh, between 15 and 20 topics. And we said, we have to break this down and make a course manageable. We're certainly not gonna try to tackle 15 different items in a single course. Uh, so we came up with really seven or eight broad topics of what we thought were really the most important and critical and said that seems like it's probably enough to, uh, to cram into one course that's intended to last for maybe a couple of months on a, with weekly sessions. And I think the other thing is that uh, we, what Kevin said, this is actually two years in the making. So you could understand uh, the, the challenge that we faced. And so what we did was we also got feedback because we don't pretend to have uh, the line on uh, um, what, what's really essential. So we got the ACEC Risk Management Committee. We presented outline of what we thought uh, to the ACEC Risk Management Committee. We sent also an outline to the ACC Legal Counsels Forum. And then, then we developed a roster of faculty that I have to tell you uh, is probably unparalleled in any program that I've seen. Uh, if you look at the qualifications of each session, uh, we have experts in the field, uh, both uh, from an engineering standpoint, construction, um, and they're outstanding engineers. Kevin and I are co-leading it, but it, each session will have another expert, a lawyer and an engineer that will be contributing their knowledge. So uh, it's been a, a daunting uh, uh, topic to tackle but I always say I get by with a little help from my friends, and uh, that's, uh, that's how we're doing it. And uh, the need for it, from my perspective, it's something that I've always wanted to do. You know, and you put it on your list. I won't say it's a bucket list item, but that shows you what a nerd I am. This is there's a Kevin and I idea of having fun. You talked about us doing all those uh, workshops and presentations, and we've probably done two dozen uh, throughout our career. But I think as far as a comprehensive overview, uh, they're really, it, it's really important so that you're not just focusing on a part, you're seeing the context in, in the matter of a whole. And as Kevin pointed out, it really doesn't, you don't cover this in your undergraduate or graduate training. It, it just isn't presented like this because I think that the key thing, we think the differentiator for our program is that this is a nuts and bolts from the trenches, from practitioners. It's not, you know, it's not theoretical pie in the sky, it's real life. It's a work in progress. So we're gonna be getting a lot of feedback from our attendees and then we'll determine if at some point in time uh, we have a, 
you know, a, a follow-up. We originally saw this as a risk management 101 and then a risk uh, management 102. We came up with the essentials risk management because that's really what we think this is. But um, it, it is uh, a challenging task, but we think that the reason for presenting it in this fashion is that there's a lot to cover and they're all interrelated so that uh, the by recording the sessions and they may be lengthy, but you can uh, divide it up in two sittings and listen to it so you can take it all in. I think that's good. And then when we have the live sessions, that is really meant to be kind of like the, uh, the workshop. Uh, we'll have practical examples, discussions, people can ask questions because there's a lot there. I mean, uh, you know, to have someone sit through almost two hours insurance in one setting, expect them to, you know, uh, have the ability to comprehend it all. Uh, I think doing it in that fashion will allow it to sink in. And all of the instructors are going to be available uh, for questions uh, throughout the entire program. So uh, in this world of uh, right now, uh, where we're all dealing with a lot of things, we hopefully think this will fill a void and something that will be interesting and people uh, find a value in, in attending. In, in addition to Jerry and I recruiting, you know, as additional faculty members, some of the best, most informed people on these topics that we know from our careers, uh, all these sessions were test driven, so to speak, in some cases, multiple times in front of certain test audiences. Uh, in some cases, the test audiences were by themselves uh, experts in the field. In some cases, we, uh, we test drove some of the sessions in front of an audience of, you know, shall we say, ordinary consulting engineers just to get their reaction to it. So uh, the materials that you'll see in the webinars has been pretty thoroughly vetted through a number of different people from consulting engineering firms, large and small engineering practitioners, legal counsel, and others. Yeah, and I, I do have to give a shout out to uh, the graphics team at Kennedy Jenks. Literally, we had four people uh, put, helping putting uh, together all of the uh, slide presentations uh, for the eight sessions. Uh, since uh, we started in, in uh, the fall in September, and it's been a been a great effort uh, uh, and a great team amount of teamwork uh, to put this really for the benefit of the profession. So it's I think it's Kevin and our way of giving back. Uh, we've only gotten to where we've gotten in this field because of the relationships that we've had among ACEC, its members, and the staff at our respective firms. So I think this is appropriate for us to. Uh, share the knowledge. Uh, I often say knowledge not shared is energy wasted, and uh, hopefully uh, there'll be a lot of energy coming out of this uh, sessions. Just uh, to close up here, what, uh, who, who should attend this program? Is this for your, your project managers? Is it for your, uh, your on, on staff law, lawyer? Who, who, who should it be? Of course, people are going to sign up for the entire course. To a certain extent, some of the sessions are perhaps slightly geared more toward certain types of people than others. But each one of the presentations has an introductory slide in it that says who the target audience is. Common factors among the target audience slide for each one of our sessions in the course include owners of consulting engineering firms, 
principals in charge, or if you will, client managers, a person on staff that isn't the project manager, but responsible for managing the overall client relationship across a series of projects. Um, project managers, obviously, uh, staff working with project managers that might be drafting professional services contracts and subcontracts. Uh, and of course, anyone who is working either uh, as an attorney advising engineers or as a consulting engineering firm contract manager or risk manager and other uh, some of the courses are geared even all the way down to uh, the people in the field uh, helping to implement the capital construction project but uh, it's it's really across the spectrum of consulting engineering but I would have to say that at the highest level firm owners principals in charge, project managers, and the folks that work very closely with them. And the only thing I might add before we close is that it's really designed for the, as many ACs firms that don't have the benefit of having in-house counsel, don't have that those resources there. So I think it, we really tried to gear towards that, that firm, that, that segment that we feel would really benefit from the most, but everyone is welcome, uh, as Kevin said. But yeah, we, we tried to focus it mostly on a firm size of about 300 staff members and less under the idea that it's probably around that point that a firm probably doesn't have an in-house uh, legal counsel and maybe has some fewer resources. That said, um, we also feel that staff from a larger firm you know, a thousand employees, 10,000 employees, you've got in-house legal counsel and many internal resources for risk management, but even staff from firms like that will probably also find an awful lot that's quite useful in this course. But we really had primarily uh, people at smaller firms, meaning 300 and fewer staff uh, in mind when we developed this. Well, great. Th thanks so much for talking about it. We're going to put the uh, link to the course in the show notes, and it's on the ACC website, and uh, we'll promote it on our social media over the next week or so. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thanks very much. Thank you. And we've been, uh, this is the Engineering Influence Podcast presented by the American Council of Engineering Companies. Thanks for listening.